Good morning, Harvest. How are we doing this morning? Good. Um, just do me a favor. If you were not moved by worship this morning, go ahead and do this for me and just check to see that you have a pulse. Um, what a fantastic time of worship this morning. I'm just so blessed uh, by our worship team. Thank you, Taylor and Sophie, for leading us. And uh, man, what an... Uh, I love it. Haggai. We are in the book of Haggai. Turn to Haggai again this week, uh, continuing in our sermon series, uh, Finding the Majors in the Minor Prophets. And uh, I want to talk with you a little bit about 16 years ago this spring in my life as you're turning to Haggai. 16 years ago this spring, God flipped my entire life upside down in a decision point. And if I could back up just even a little bit beyond 16 years ago, when I was uh, 12 years old, prior to this time, I, uh, my dad took me to a Promise Keepers event at the Silver Dome, and that's when I first uh, accepted Christ as my Savior, at least the first time I remembered accepting Christ as my Savior. And um, it was also the first time that I saw drums in worship. And I was like, that's cool. But also, the Lord laid on my heart because of a musical gifting that I had been working on since I'd been five and had some affirmation and confirmation in in this musical gifting. Um, Many people around me saying, hey, you have a gift. You should use that for the Lord. You should use that for the Lord. It was in that moment. It was like, I need to use this for the Lord. And so it was drums. It was piano. And I grew up working on those things specifically for the purpose of when I grow up, I want to use this musical gift for the Lord in ministry. That was a conviction I had at 12 years old that I felt the Lord so clearly lay on my heart. And so, of course, as I am um, working through that musical gifting, trying to grow in my ability on piano, growing in my ability on drums, learning how to sing, and going through high, junior high, being in the musicals, being in choir, going through high school, uh, being in the band, being the, the band nerd and the choir nerd, and going through all of those types of things. Uh, they're not nerds, by the way. I think I'm pretty cool. But I worked all the way through, and even um, my junior year uh, doing showcase, the West Michigan showcase, and being announced saying, hey, this kid wants to use his gifts for the Lord and study music. And so naturally, I get to 12th grade, I graduate, and I go off to Calvin College to study biology. (laughs) So I was in Calvin College studying to go into the medical field, Um, I was pre-med. I specifically wanted to be a dentist, mainly because of my last name. Uh, That was about it. It's Moeller, in case none of you know what my last name is. And I still wanted to pursue music in ministry, but at that time, in my head, it's like there's no money in that, and I need to be able to make money. And I also, if I were to be honest with you at that time, I was stuck in hidden addiction. I also felt the shame of thinking that ministry was for those who had their life put together and didn't struggle with anything. So I pushed off all of those inclinations that the Lord gave me when I was 12. I pushed off that calling that I knew so clearly God was calling me into to pursue something in a direction paving my own way for the success that I desired. And I pursued that direction for over half of my college career. And then 16 years ago, this spring, my life turned upside down. When I decided to make a random stop, I came home for the weekend to visit my family. And on the way home back to Grand Rapids, I decided to take the long route back to visit some dear friends of mine, David and Kristen Wissen, at their home on the lakeshore. 
And uh, I would often do this, just unannounced. This was just my MO with them. I would just show up at their house at the gate and say, hey, uh, do you guys want coffee? And so I found myself at their countertop in their kitchen with a cup of coffee. And, and this particular day, God stirred their hearts to ask me a couple questions. And that conversation over coffee hit me like a brick in the face. Because at the end of that conversation, I was led to a decision point. A decision point that in one decision, my entire life's direction could be flipped upside down. I tell you, uh, it changed everything. I'll tell you a little bit more about that story in a bit, but I want you to hear this as we dive into Haggai today. This passage, I have lived the reality of the story uh, that we see here in Haggai. And I hope desperately for you today, if you find yourself at a crossroads, if you're at a decision point in your life, if you know what God is calling you to do, but you've been dragging your feet, that God would stir your heart to consider your ways and to act boldly in obedience this morning. So as a quick recap, remember last week, Pastor Dave preached the first 11 verses in chapter one, and he was setting the stage for this amazing turn of events of the Israelite remnant coming out of the Babylonian exile when Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, allowed through the vision of the Lord that he got, allowed the people, the remnant of Israel, to go back and do what? To build God's house, to build the temple of the Lord. And how did they do with that? Not good. Not good. They just got the foundation laid. They just got the cement laid on the foundation of the temple. I mean, even the hotels by the mall did better than that. (laughs) But instead, they got distracted. They were hit with adversaries. Instead of building the temple, they spent the next 18 years building their own houses and selfishly, even ignorantly, selfishly avoiding the calling that God gave them to build his house. And as we saw, it wasn't going well for them said they were sowing much, but harvesting little, eating, but not being satisfied, having clothes, but never being warm, earning wages, but uh, wondering where all the money was going, saying it was, they were storing it in bags with holes. And I'm telling you, I have lived this reality in my life, running from the Lord, walking in a direction, a way that I knew God was calling me to, with all of the stupid but compelling excuses in my life making me go that direction. And in many ways, I felt that exact description I was sowing a lot, but harvesting little, eating, but not satisfied. I was clothed, but never warm, and my money just seemed to be stored in holy bags, which is funny because the reason why I was running the opposite direction was for the opposite of all of those things. And it leads you to ask the question sometimes, why does God allow hard things like this? Why does he allow hard things like this? And can I tell you? It's because he loves us. A better question to ask is in the middle of our hardship, what is God trying to get my attention in right now? It's his loving, gracious discipline in our lives that he would, uh, that he would allow things like this through natural law, through natural consequence to try to get our attention to say, turn around at harvest. We have a couple phrases that we like to say, choose to sin, choose to suffer and obedience leads to blessing. But when we choose to sin, uh, we choose a path of suffering and God in his grace and in his loving kindness allows this discipline to say, turn around, to get our attention and whatever it is that we're running the opposite direction of him in. When we see don't in the Bible, when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. And that's where I found myself in my story, and that's where we find ourselves in the book of Haggai. 
God, through Haggai the prophet, just calls them out on their disobedience and in their ignorant selfishness and asks them, consider your ways. In other words, how is this working out for you? It's not good. So now let's pick up in verse 12, Haggai 1, verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. God says this, I am with you, declares the Lord. First point this morning is obedience is the catalyst for God's presence. Obedience is the catalyst for God's presence in your life. And do you know what a catalyst is? If I could do a shameless plug for uh, Vertical Adventures this summer, I'm the mad scientist. I get to do this again this summer. I get to do explosions and science experiments with the kids, showing them that science is something that God has given us to point back to him and his glory in creation. And a catalyst, if I can give you a quick chemistry lesson, the catalyst is something that changes uh, something else into a new thing very quickly, okay? Okay, so take water, for example. Water is made up of hydrogen and oxygen. Both of those gases can exist for eternity together with no effect whatsoever. But as soon as you add a spark, guess what happens? Instantly, a new compound is created. That's a catalyst. Instantly, it becomes water. And we should never underestimate the power of unified corporate obedience, both in our lives, but in the life of a church corporate obedience because what happens? God shows up in unbelievable ways. Revival happens and guess what? He shows up fast in just 23 days. And how do we know this? It's in verse 15. It's the timestamp of this particular oracle. It says, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The oracle just prior to this was the first day of the sixth month. So first day, 24th day, 23 days later, God shows up After 18 years of their disobedience, God says, I am with you. And that changed the course of an entire people toward the glory of God, believing by faith to do what God has called them to do. They put aside their excuses and trusted the Lord. And God quickly says, I am with you. And how many of you find yourself in a spot this morning, in a situation of your life, in a a circumstance that you're facing right now that you desperately want to hear the words from the Lord that says, I am with you, fear not. Because here's the truth. You're not too far from God to turn around right now in whatever that circumstance is. You're not too far from the Lord to choose obedience right now. Where is God calling you to be obedient in your life so that he can show up and do amazing things? 18 years of people were ignoring the command of the Lord. And in 23 days, with mustard seed faith, surrounding, uh, surrendering their own wills, they laid down their own selfishness. They turned around and saying, God, we choose obedience. And God shows up and says, I'm with you. And just because it's fun, I did the math. Okay, 18 years, 6,570 days is 18 years. God shows up in 23 days. How fast God showed up in comparison to the life of their disobedience. Because here's a lie that the enemy tries to tell us. You've been running for 18 years. You've been running for 20 years. You've been running for eight months. It's going to take at least that amount of time to get back in right relationship with God. Not true. Not true. Look at the math. God shows up in 3.5 thousandths of the amount of time that they disobeyed. 
That's 285 times quicker compared to the lifespan of their disobedience that the Lord showed up in response to their obedience. Would you continue to run after knowing that God has been so lovingly chasing you for that long? Because here's the reality. This math, the math is whatever it is. The reality is you turn around, he's right there. Well, it's too hard, Chris. No, it's not. Nothing is too hard with the Lord, with you. Well, even if I turn around right now, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I wouldn't even know where to begin in, in, in trying to tread back and make up that lost time. Well, guess what? God's got you in that as well. He knows, and with him, with you, he makes it happen. This is our second point this morning. Let God's presence stir your spirit. Let God's presence stir your spirit in the right direction. Pick up here in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I wonder why we always have to give their titles. It's so much of a mouthful. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the month, the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. The word here, stirring, Stirring, I looked this up, it it literally means to awaken, to awaken. The Spirit moved these men to wake them up, to motivate these men in the direction that God wanted them to go. And I think there's an important thing here to notice in the text, the order of the stirring of the Spirit. God stirred the Spirit, notice, of the leaders and then to the remnant of Israel. More likely, God stirred the Spirit through Haggai, the prophet, speaking to the leaders of the people, who then the Spirit stirred their hearts, stirred their spirit, who then communicated it to the remnant of the people, and God stirred their spirit in the same direction. And when I think of our church, you know, it's our calling as leaders and as pastors and small group leaders and soul care counselors and elders and deacons. It's our, it's our calling to be stirred by the Spirit in a direction and to lead you in being stirred by the Lord and trust his leading. This isn't an easy task. And in fact, it's actually very burdensome. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the spiritual authorities in your life that, ha- that are stirred by the Lord in their hearts. And, and also respond in allowing God to stir your spirit through the spiritual authorities in your life. Say it's a, a, a small group leader uh, calling you out on sin Say it's a pastor preaching a sermon that seems to be directed directly at you, cutting to your heart. Maybe it's the soul care counselor that is challenging you in an area that you need to be obedient. Would we allow the stirring of the spirit from authorities in our lives to challenge us to be stirred by the Lord in the direction of obedience to his calling? And if I could do a quick plug for tonight, men, tonight, the vertical men, night, the leadership has been stirred by the Lord with a message that you need to hear. Make it a priority. Be there tonight. Because what this shows us is that others, God allows others to be involved in our transformative walk with him. We're not meant to walk alone in this life. We aren't meant to be alone on an island in our own, this Christianity thing that's just for me and no one else needs to be involved in it. No, we are meant to be open books and allow other people to speak into our lives, especially those with spiritual authority in our lives and those who have investment in our, into our lives and who know us and who care about us. By the way, the way that God uses these people often is in the form of a hard conversation, isn't it? 
I don't remember the last time I enjoyed a conversation where an authority in my life was convicting me of a pattern of sin or something that needs to change in my life, but I have had them enough in my life to be so grateful that God would use these authorities in my life to be bold enough to risk the comfort of the relationship for my overall spiritual health and well-being. I thank God for those things. I thank God that he would allow those people in my life. It's changed my life drastically, and can I just get practical? When someone who has chips in your game, you know what I mean by that? When someone who's been invested into your spiritual walk, when someone who's invested into your life, a proven leader in your life, maybe it's a small group leader or it's an older person who knows you really well, kids in the room, maybe it's your parents. When those people approach you and say, listen, I have some concerns, can we talk? Could it be that God stirred their heart for you Could it be that God is using them to stir your heart in a better direction? And could it be that God's using their obedience in the midst of a hard conversation to help you see your shortcomings so that you can also respond in obedience and experience the blessing of God's presence in your life that leads to God's wisdom in pointing you in the direction that you're supposed to be traveling? Please, 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 do not bristle Or bear offense when someone who's invested so much into your life and helping walk alongside you for so long when they approach you about their concerns, humbly lean into those conversations and don't be surprised when God radically moves in those experiences to change your life. So I'm sitting there with David and Kristen with Sen with a cup of coffee in hand and Kristen, knowing that I am more than two years into this process of the pre-med program, more than two years as a biology major and chemistry minor, just boldly, flat out asked me, why exactly are you going into dentistry? I thought you had a heart for ministry. Any of you had a mama with send talk before? Yeah. And I was taken aback. I was like, well, of course, of, um, uh, of course I have a heart for ministry. I mean, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do that, but like, I got to be able to pay for things. I got to be able to get a good job and a decent house. And I want to be able to support a family someday. I want to be able to do all of those things. And, uh, but I got to be financially stable because in my head, in my head, money was the fuel for the ability to do ministry. So if I had enough money, then naturally I'd want to serve the Lord because I had provided myself, uh, provided for myself in the other areas so that I could then give God my free time. Now, please hear me. Please hear me. I'm not making an argument that everyone is called into full-time vocational ministry and that if you have a good job that makes you decent money, that you're not honoring the Lord because you're not a pastor. I'm not saying that, okay? Turn to your neighbor say, he's not saying that. But what I am saying is that I knew what God had called me to, and I was deliberately running from it. And this was the first time that I was getting confronted with that reality. And my excuse, really, my excuse was, well, the world runs on money, so I need to make it, right? Even if I want to serve the Lord. To which Kristen very graciously but very boldly replied, well, at what point in your master plan, Chris, are you going to believe that God will provide for you? And the best way I can describe what happened next was like those grown men slapping competitions. Have you seen that before? Two grown men on either side of a table and they just slap the daylights out of the other person until someone is on the floor passed out. I, I, can, I can guarantee you there was more to the conversation. I don't remember any of it. All I remember is that night I drove back to my dorm room 
And I realized it wasn't Kristen talking to me. It was the Lord using her to specifically call me out into question. Consider your ways. How is this working out for you so far? You're spending all this time trying to build your own life perfectly, get a huge house with paneled walls, enough money to support your greedy lifestyle. How's that going for you? When will you trust me? It was a total knockout. I got back to my dorm room. I was a wreck inside. And then I was a wreck outside. I was weeping in my bed, faced down with a turning point of a huge decision in my life that I just, that had so many ramifications, I didn't even know how to wrap my mind around them. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything until that boulder on my heart was lifted. And so I finally surrendered. Years after the initial calling in my life, I finally was cut to the heart because God used people in my life who I looked up to, who were invested into me, who were spiritual authorities in my life to be stirred by the Spirit to challenge me toward obedience. And as soon as I was resolved in my heart, I said, God, I'm yours. I don't care about the money anymore. I just want you to be in the driver's seat. It was like I could breathe again. And my spirit was stirred toward a new direction. I'm telling you, God opened every single door in that direction. And he led me through each of those doors, not with confusion, but with confidence. And so did the remnant of Israel. They heard the words from God, I am with you. And they were stirred to drop what they were doing and to start working on the temple again in obedience. And that's where we get to now in chapter two. Let's pick up in verse one. It says, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, notice the order again, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Here's a third point. Let God's presence keep you going. Let God's presence keep you going. The story jumps ahead by just about a month. It's the 21st day of the seventh month now where we see this third oracle spoken uh, by the Lord through Haggai the prophet. And what does he address? Apparently there's some discouragement happening right now among the people, particularly the older people, maybe the elders of Israel overseeing this project who would have actually in their lifetime seen Solomon's temple and now are doing like, well, this is what Solomon's temple looked like. This is what our temple is looking like. Ooh, this isn't good. And just as a bit of comparison, Solomon's temple, it, was, it took 180,000 men to build over the course of seven years to complete and in its construction, 285 tons of gold, that's 575,000 pounds of gold in Solomon's temple, 625 tons of silver, that's 1.25 million uh, pounds of silver. And then they didn't even measure the bronze, there was so much of it. It was bronze beyond measure in Solomon's temple. And, and so the people are looking at what they're building and, and playing the comparison game, looking back on Solomon's temple, and it's like, this, this is a dollhouse compared to that. Why? Th th this isn't worth it, guys. We're not doing a good enough job. It doesn't look good enough. God's not going to be pleased. He's not going to be able to work or live in this. And this is after a month. 
I mean, where was the zeal that they had a month ago? What, what, what happened to the excitement to follow the Lord in obedience? And do you remember what Pastor Dave said last week when a movement of God happens? What is quick to follow? Opposition. Adversaries. And by the way, this is normal and to be expected because we have a real enemy whose sole purpose in life is to thwart the movement of God in our lives, try to distract us from what God wants us to do, to try to distract us away from the direction that God is trying to bring us. And how does he distract us often? It's a classic comparison game. Well, you know, good try, but, you know, we're about a month in and really not a lot has changed. You're not really amounting to what you committed to, so uh, maybe it's just not working out for you. Uh, you could be better than this. Have you seen so-and-so, how much better they are at you than this thing in your life? It's been about a month. Shouldn't you be in a better spot? You're still struggling pretty good. Aren't you supposed to be clean now? Why is this so hard for you? The person who gave their testimony in their small group made it seem so easy compared to what you're going through right now. Maybe you just don't have what it takes. You're not meeting your goals. Maybe you should just give up. Or maybe you've thought this. This lie, I've been working so hard, but I'm just not as far as so-and-so in my relationship with God. Maybe I should just give up. How many have believed that lie? See, because the remnant of Israel was looking back, thinking that somehow the way the house looks is going to affect the movement of God in their lives. And that's a lie. Maybe you've thought that. You know, God won't accept me until I clean myself up. The house has to look perfect in order for God to actually want to visit it. No, obedience is the catalyst for the presence of God. And they were hit with discouragement. And notice how God responds to this discouragement. Again, he addresses the leaders and then to the people. He says, be strong, work hard. In other words, persevere. Why? Because I am with you. My presence is with you. It has nothing to do with the beauty of the house or the culture or the time period. I am with you. And know it's interesting. Where does he go with the topic? He mentions Egypt. Why does he mention Egypt? Because this is a time in Israel's past where Israel looked backward again, playing the comparison game, wondering what God's purpose was in their life and maybe they should give up. When they were in the wilderness, they left and they looked back. They're like, oh, that we were back in Egypt with the leeks and the melons and the meat. And God's like, really? No, my covenant with you coming out of Egypt is that I was going to be with you and that's exactly what he's committing to them now, that he's going to be, my spirit remains in your midst, he says. And notice how he addresses himself, the Lord of hosts. It's this term, Jehovah Saba. It literally means the Lord of armies, the Lord of angels, the Lord of the whole universe, the sun, moon, and stars. And in most cases in scripture, this term is used here in the context of warfare or in taking over. It's a sovereign, uh, it's a sovereign title that God gives saying uh, to them, in the midst of your discouragement, I'm the Lord of hosts, I'm in control. In the midst of what you're going through and playing the comparison game, don't forget, I'm all over it. In the, in the area that you're worried about right now, I am the God over armies of angels. You don't need to fear. I am with you, my spirit remains in your midst. Don't look back, don't give up, be strong. Keep working, don't give up. Persevere in my presence. Let God's presence keep you going. And here's a fourth thing. Watch God's presence keep getting better. Watch God's presence keep getting better over time. Let's pick up in verse six now. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. God continues his pep talk with the people. He says, listen, you worry too much about what the temple used to look like and whatever you're building right now looks like, but can I tell you something? You're valuing the wrong things. My glory will be greater in your midst, even with this temple, than it was in Solomon's day. He says, you're worried that you don't have enough gold or silver or anything to make the temple look like? He's like, I own it all. I already own it. And there's a day coming when I'm going to literally shake the heavens and shake the nations and shake the earth. And now here's a a thing that we need to recognize in prophetic literature. Those are, are, are terms, shaking the heavens, shaking the nations, shaking the earth and the sea and the dry land. Those are day of the Lord type references that we need to recognize when we read prophetic literature. And there's a lot that can be said here, but this is what we call uh, near far prophecy. Go ahead and put up that slide. And so what we see and what we see in prophetic literature is oftentimes things like this um, that prophets will say, it will have an effectuation in their day. It will also have an effectuation in the incarnation of Christ when Christ came the first time. And then it will ultimately have an effectuation at the, um, the second coming of Christ when he returns in glory. And so the shaking of the nations, the latter glory shall be greater than the former. Um, we can look at this like three different peaks. And so how do we see that in Haggai's day? The fact that the temple was being built again post-Babylonian exile, that would have shaken the nations. That there would be a temple to the Israelite God in Jerusalem again. Nations would have not just, they would have, they, they would have looked on that and be like, whoa, something's happening. That would have been earth-shaking for the nations, okay? And then, uh, then you get to Christ's first coming when he was, his incarnation, not only did he shake the nations with his teaching, but literally the heavens and the earth were shaken when what happened? When he died, what did it say? The foundation of the temple was shook and the veil was torn in two, opening up the Holy of Holies and that we would have uh, access to the presence of God. And then the earth being shaken again on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up and empowered the disciples and empowered the believers with his indwelled presence. See, that's the latter glory being greater than the former because up until that point, it was old covenant presence of God. God inhabits the praise of his people. He would show up in their midst. He would have his manifest presence in the temple. But the new covenant, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not only that God would dwell in our midst, say in worship or in the congregation of his people, but God would dwell in us. The spirit of God himself, the living God would actually dwell in us, the presence of God in us, in our hearts, temples of the Holy Spirit. That's earth shaking. That's heaven rattling when we think of the fact that God is with us. That changes everything. The presence of God, not just being in our midst, but being in us. 
residing in us. That's the latter glory he's talking about. He's like, you thought it was pretty fascinating and pretty cool that I would show up at Solomon's temple. I will live in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus died for you because of your sin and he rose from the dead, defeating death and sin, you believe by faith that he is your savior and Lord, you get the presence of God in your life. And then ultimately the culmination of the latter glory, the heavens and the earth being shaken and the nations being shaken when Christ comes back at the trumpet sound and the, in the clouds and glory showing up. When he, will be, when he will say, I will make all things new, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, new heavens, new earth. It says in Revelation, the dwelling place of God is with man. His presence gets better and better the latter glory will be greater than the former and that should give us confidence and motivation for obedience because we may be thinking that we're treading water right now in the midst of our storm but the God who shakes the heavens and the earth he knows and he sees he's appealing to us right now trust me I know it's hard I can hold you through this there's that old phrase you know if God called you to it he'll hold you through it right and I'm not about to read footprints in the sand right now but some of you may need to hear this we may be constantly looking backwards in life thinking that that was easier or that was better in, in the past, but the reality is those thoughts could then turn into temptations to give up in the direction that you know God is calling you to in obedience. Do not give up. The latter glory is greater than the former. What you think you will get if you give up now isn't worth it. Obedience leads to blessing, and God loves to bless his children through obedience. And I love what it says at the end of this passage that we're in. It says, and in this place, in this place, the latter glory is greater than the former. In this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And I look back on that moment 16 years ago when God put a boulder on my heart that he's like, you're dealing with this. I'm so glad he pushed me to surrender. I'm so glad he put people in my life to surrender because I often will count the blessings that I would have sacrificed had I not been obedient in that moment. I wouldn't have been able to go to Moody Bible Institute. I wouldn't have been connected to a church to cut my teeth in ministry. I wouldn't have met my wife who was introduced to me through someone at the church. I wouldn't have had the phone call just four years after that decision from David was sent to say, hey, do you want to plant a church? I wouldn't have been part of this church plant with my wife and to get to see my kids so excited to come to church every week. And I just pray that they would continue to be excited always to come into the house of the Lord. I wouldn't have been able to see my parents get involved and even get to baptize my dad at our first baptism service at International Aid. I also wouldn't have had the amazing opportunity to see personally the power of God transforming me from one degree of glory to another, defeating hidden sin, defeating addiction, and putting death sin in my life. The former glory of what I was looking to or what I was looking forward to, the, the big house, the lots of money, the things of this world that I was running to, none of those things inherently were bad things, but they owned me. And my heart was set on those things, not the Lord. And I tell you, I may not be rich, but I am more blessed than I deserve. And God has more than proved himself in the midst of my obedience. So I end with a big question this morning. Where could today's obedience lead you tomorrow? If you could just be honest with yourself right now, is there an area in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord right now? Where are you running away? Where are you dragging your feet? And if I could just make this question, same question, just harder, okay? Is your disobedience right now worth the future regret? 
The last time I went to the dentist, I was told, hey, Chris, um, you have a handful of problems that if you don't change some habits right now, it's going to be pretty costly for you in the future. And he told me very boldly, he's like, you should, uh, he goes to our church. He's like, Chris, you should really lay off the church donuts, bro. (laughs) And because he had the boldness to tell me what I needed to do in order to prevent future costliness, future regret. He had the boldness to tell me what I needed to hear. Guess what? I chose to listen. And I can tell you from that day, I have not had one single church donut since. Now, that appointment was this past Thursday. But the point is, (laughs) the point is, if you knew what you were doing right now was going to cost you so greatly in the future, wouldn't you want to change it? If you knew right now what you were doing was going to cost you future enormous regret, is it really worth it to stay status quo? The dentist is a silly example, but some of you in the room are hidden in habitual sin that you're not willing to let go. You're looking at porn and you think you're not hurting anyone. You have someone on the side that no one else knows about. You're fooling yourself if you think that that future regret is worth it right now. When you get caught, not if you get caught. I'm not saying there's not going to be consequence to that confession. It's way better to be confessing sin than getting caught in sin, but the way God is able to work and heal through confession and repentance is so worth it to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his love compared to the hurt and the carnage of getting caught. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, I just don't know if I have it in me to stop getting drunk or to stop being dependent on this substance. I need these things in order to settle the anxiety or fears in my life. Listen, we've seen it time and time again, God stepping into the lives of people who will surrender their lives to the Lord and God coming in and defeating that sin for you, defeating those addictions for you through his power. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is a, the same power that is, a, that is alive in you to say no and to move on in victory for his glory. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. If believing in him means that I, I, I'm going to, it's going to change me or he's going to change me, I don't know if I'm up for that. I, I like being my own king. I like not submitting to anything or anyone. And my question to you is, is all of that worth it for the ultimate end of spending eternity apart from God in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because that's the end. If you want to be your own king, that's the end. Is it worth it? Or would you bow the knee and recognize Christ as your Savior and Lord? Maybe not knowing what that entails right now, but knowing that the latter glory is greater than the former because God is a good God and that came at a cost. He died for us so that we could have a relationship with him full of blessing and full of peace. God's word says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would move now into the hearts of these people, that you would, if there's any area of conviction right now in our hearts, that God, we would not leave that unsettled, but we would settle that today and and say to you, God, boldly, God, I don't even know what this means, but I'm yours. 
I want you to be in the driver's seat and I need you to take control. You died for me so that I no longer have to go the direction that I'm going and now God, we need your power to move me in another direction. God, I just pray that if, if there are people in the room praying that prayer right now that you would show up just like you showed up thousands of years ago to the remnant of Israel and you show up fast, God, and that you would prove yourself to them as you have done time and time and time again in my life and in the life of many people in this room. God, move in power, move in glory. For the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.